Welcome to A Better Story Podcast. Let's talk about reclaiming religion. But before we do that, your normal set of reminders. Uh, Light Theory provided the intro and outro music, so if you are into them, check out the links in the show notes. Facebook and Twitter, you can always check A Better Story out on that. And uh, probably most importantly, reviews on iTunes. Uh, Some of you have already been doing that, which I am incredibly grateful for, but if you leave a review of a better story podcast on iTunes. It is super helpful. So uh, do that if you get a chance. So let's talk about reclaiming religion. Now, I am a big fan of reclaiming terms that have been misused and abused and forgotten, which happens a lot uh, in the world. You can see, uh, case in point, the term fake news once actually meant news that was fake. Now it is uh, just sort of this like malign term that has lost all meaning and makes me cringe when I hear it. And the same thing I think is true with religion. Religion is a term that gets a really bad rap with people. And it's people all across the board. So you'll have people who will say things like, I'm not really into organized religion. Uh, You'll have people who will say things like, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And then you'll have other folks who will be like, well, I'm all about a relationship, not a religion. Uh, And all of those are totally understandable, but I think they have missed the point of what religion is meant to be and what it can be. So I want us to look first at the ways it's misused uh, so that we are clear and can name those things and talk about how they are just off base from the intent of religion. And then I want us to look at a couple stories within the Christian scriptures about what it was meant to be and see what's it looks like to begin to salvage that term religion. So let's start with these misconceptions or ways in which religion has gone wrong. Because it has gone wrong. I'm not trying to defend all uses of religion or all practice of religion. So let's start with this. Religion is often power hungry. I don't think I have to convince you of this. Uh, We've seen it recently and how a lot of evangelical Christianity has colluded with... uh, conservative politics and in a lot of people's minds has sort of uh, sold its soul for political power. But this isn't a new thing. This has happened throughout religious history and especially throughout Christian history that religion oftentimes colludes with power to maintain influence and control. And it's ripe for abuse. It's not hard to gain power and want to maintain power by invoking in people's minds the most powerful thing they can imagine. And so you can do a lot of harm or you can do a lot of good uh, with that. But power is an easy thing to accumulate when you are using God or the name of God. Now, the ironic thing is Christian scriptures and Hebrew scriptures are filled with examples and warnings, like incredibly strong warnings against the use and abuse of power in the name of God. So if you want an example, go back and check out the episode on Revelation. Uh, That was, I think, maybe like the third episode on this podcast. But it's these examples are throughout Scripture all over the place. So religion, while it is common for it to be power hungry, was never meant to be. And I'll talk more about that in a little bit. Our religion can also be tribal. We as people love to draw lines and boundaries, and we love to define ourselves by who is outside of those boundaries. And so again, invoking God into this sort of heightens it. It turns the volume up. Invoking God and saying God created these lines, these tribal lines, allows for sort of the strongest and hardest and fastest lines that we can imagine. 
And so what we find is oftentimes religion can become very tribal, can be about protecting our own, about drawing these really firm boundaries about who is in and who is out. And what we'll find as we go on is that is never actually what was meant to be. It might be sort of understandable. Um, if you look at like the histories of various religions, what we find is that they didn't start out as tribal. Uh, they started out as these sort of profound experiences that people had with God and with each other, things that they had a hard time putting language around. But as their experience, as time passed and those experiences grew more distant, and the people who had those primary experiences with Jesus or with, in Hebrew tradition, the Exodus out of Egypt, or any variety of other experience, profound experiences, time passed and those people who had those primary experiences passed away. Religion sort of crystallized and formalized around them. And so what happens eventually is that it's easy to get more caught up in protecting the group that forms around those experiences than actually trying to tap back into those experiences themselves. Along similar lines, religion can be very certain. And it can sometimes be based around defending certainty. We want to know that what we believe is 100% right. Now, unfortunately, that's not the way the world actually works. And again, you can go back and listen to, especially the episode with Frank Schaefer on this. He does an excellent job of unpacking this. And it's really easy to, um, to really dog on people who want a high degree of certainty. But I think what we have to understand is that this desire for certainty is natural within all of us. And so while it can be incredibly harmful when people sort of voraciously defend the certainty of their faith, it's also understandable. One of the things I've found as I've walked with folks in their religious understanding is that, is that oftentimes people have powerful emotions attached to their beliefs and their religious assumptions. So maybe they came to certain religious beliefs or faith in a really bad time. A lot of people do when they're in the midst of recovery from alcoholism or drug abuse or when they're seeking comfort in the midst of grief or divorce or loss. And so what happens is these religious experiences get attached to these very powerful emotions. And we end up getting very territorial with those emotions. So those emotions are attached to very particular religious beliefs and experiences. And if someone questions those beliefs or experiences, in that person's mind, they're not just questioning an assumption, they're questioning that effect that was associated with that belief. So if someone begins to recover from alcoholism and it's largely due to a religious belief, questioning that religious belief is questioning sort of like the basic pieces of that person's life and something very powerful that happened. And so we end up getting very territorial with our emotions and we guard them oftentimes like we guard close friends and family and kids. I found this when I was uh, starting out working in churches and especially teaching in churches. I would come up with like teachings uh, on Sunday mornings and think, okay, this one is going to appeal to a lot of people. It's not going to ruffle any feathers. And then I would have other ones where I think this is going to be controversial and it's going to ruffle feathers and people might get upset with this. And what happened was I realized I could never predict what was actually going to ruffle people's feathers, what was going to push on their levels of certainty, because I had no idea what assumptions and what religious beliefs were associated with powerful emotions for them. And so what I found pretty quickly is that when I upset someone with something that I would say with an assumption that I pushed on, it usually wasn't just based on the assumption. It's because there was this powerful emotion attached to that assumption or that belief underneath it. So religion can have this strange fixation to certainty. That's not helpful, but it's understandable. 
And last sort of misuse of religion to touch on is that it can be dull and out of touch. Oftentimes people have this sense of dread when going into a church because they know it's going to be boring, because they know that the practice of whatever religion they're walking into doesn't seem like the best use of their time. They could be at brunch, they could be relaxing, they could be spending time with friends. And it's a completely legitimate critique of religion because oftentimes religion is too shallow. It's caught up in sort of the practices and the techniques instead of the actual substance. Think of it this way. It's a incredibly hot day and you're outside and you have been working and you're incredibly thirsty and someone comes up to you with a glass of lemonade and you really, you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's what I want. That's going to be incredibly helpful. But instead of like focusing on the lemonade, they start talking about how amazing the straw is. And they want you to really just focus on that straw. Well, it's missing the point. The straw is what gets you to the thing that you want, the thing that you need, the lemonade. And so oftentimes religion seems to miss the point. It misses the substance, the thing that quenches us, the thing that we actually want and desire. And it focuses on those practices or those rituals that are meant to lead us there. But if we only focus on those practices or rituals, then things can seem really dull and out of touch. So those are some of the ways in which the term religion and religion, the practice of it, have been misused or not used well. So let's look at how we can begin to reclaim that term, what that term was actually maybe meant to be and meant to do. And I want us to look at, like we always do, some old stories or old conversations that happen in the Hebrew and Christian scriptures. Now, if you're looking for the term religion, especially in the Christian scriptures, you're not really going to find it very often. It just wasn't used very often in the teachings and the writings of early Christians. It gets picked up quite a bit after the Christian scriptures are finished and closed, but you can really only find it, the term religion, or a term that could even be sort of translated as a religion, a couple times in the Christian scriptures. And the term, if you want to get fancy in Greek with it, is uh, threskia, and it's sort of, it's often translated religion, and it just basically means like expressing devotion to a transcendent being, to something that you have a hard time articulating. And it's only used three times. One of the times is just sort of in passing in Acts 26, and I'm not really going to jump into that very much. I want to look at the other two stories or exchanges where it's used because it teaches us something. It takes us back to the roots of what religion is supposed to be. And that has a lot to do with the actual term religion. So let's talk about that term religion real fast before we get into the stories. The term religion is a Latin word, so it's not actually found in uh, the Hebrew or Christian scriptures, because they weren't written in Latin. Latin wasn't a language yet when they were written. But it comes from two sort of roots called re, to do something again, and ligio, to ligament or to bind together. Now, this insight has been popping up all over the place, so I, it's not my own. I actually don't know who to exactly give it credit for. But essentially, this term religion is about reconnecting, rebinding what has been broken or torn apart. And I think what we find when we look at even just the Two times that a similar term is used in the Christian scriptures, we're going to find something very similar. That at its heart, religion and the practice of religion is about reconnecting and rebinding what has been broken and torn apart. So the first time it's mentioned is in uh, this letter called Colossians, where the writer is writing to this group of early Jesus followers, uh, instructing them about how to move forward in their pursuit of what it means to sort of live in the way that Jesus lived and their faith and their practice. And one of the things the writer has found is that this community has begun to sort of get pulled into the shallow understanding of religious practice. 
is began focusing too much on these sort of like rituals of how to eat and worshiping angels or messengers is the term and all these sort of like strange things. And so the writer says in around 2.18-ish uh, in chapter 2 that all these things are a shadow of what they were meant to be. That they aren't the actual substance that this religious practice that these people are, are engaging in isn't bad, but it's not the actual thing. It gives you a little bit of a form in the same way that a shadow does. It tells you the shape and gives you an outline of it, but it's not the real deal. And the writer goes on and says, the real thing is about being connected to the source, to God. And he uses this metaphor of being connected to the head, to Christ, to God, to the presence of the divine, to the sacred. And so what we find is that when the writer invokes this term religion, he's correcting this shallow understanding, this shadowed understanding of it and saying, no, 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 you're missing it. It's about that deep connection to the source of all life, to God. Not about these sort of mindless rituals that aren't bad, but those are meant to connect us in the same way that the straw connects us to the drink, to the substance, to the thing that we want. It's meant to connect us to the divine. And so I think we find that religion in its original and its sort of purest sense is meant to connect us to that sacred aspect of life, to God. Rabbi Lawrence Kushner, who I mentioned last week, you can tell what I've been reading. It's a book by Lawrence Kushner, says it this way. He says, Relig religious rituals are a funny sequence of things we do to help us remember what we've forgotten, why we've been created, and gently prod us with instruments of return. They're ancient techniques for sending us back to everyday life with a childlike sense of wonder. Religion is meant to connect us to God, to the divine, to the sacred, and leave us with a sense of awe for the world. Whereas we talked about last week, we realize that the world is alive and burning and on fire with the presence of God. So that's the first use of religion in the Christian scriptures. Second one is a probably more common one. It's James 1.26. And it talks about how pure religion is caring for those who are orphaned and widowed. And then there's a second line that's often translated in keeping oneself pure from the affliction of the world. Well, a different and perhaps like better translation of that would actually be caring for those who are orphaned and keeping widows from the affliction of the world. So the ancient world at this time was incredibly harsh on widows and orphans because there were these sort of gendered structures to the world and you needed a man generally to provide for you, to work, to make the money, to hold a place in society. And so if either as a child or as a woman, you lost that then the world was going to be a harsh place. And so what the writer is saying is that if you want to practice true religion, then it's about protecting those who the world is going to walk all over. So in the same way, it's about rebinding, reconnecting. It's about rebinding us to those that we in society have marginalized and pushed to the edges. It's about looking at the broken places in our world, in our communities, and beginning to reconnect them to sew them back together, to heal them. It's about rebinding our own communities and cities. And so the author essentially gives this group that he's writing to a test that if you want to find out if your religion, if your practice is true and pure, then look around you, see if you are actually rebinding, connecting, and caring for those who are most vulnerable. So even though this term that could be translated religion doesn't occur very often in Christian scriptures, I think we can see sort of what was meant to be at the heart of it. Connection, connection to the sacred, and then connection to others. 
a connection that rebinds, that heals, that re-ligaments ourselves together to one another and to God. And this is consistent with both Jewish and Christian traditions. In both those traditions, there is this idea that evil is a tearing, a separating, a separating that happens, a tearing that happens within ourselves, within our communities, and then within our relationship to the world around us and to God. And so that's a practice religion, is to practice the reconnecting of those things that have been torn in our world, about rooting ourselves in the love of the sacred, of the divine, and out of that, beginning to mend those wounds. So I don't know what your experience with religion has been. Maybe it's been really awful. Maybe it's been harmful and painful. I don't know what sort of like religious practice or community you're in today, but I think maybe one of the best tests that we could have for our religious practices and institutions and the stories and symbols that we use in our religion is to ask the question, does it rebind or does it tear apart? Is it rebinding us to ourselves and the people around us and to God, or is it further tearing them apart through tribalism and through certainty and through hunger for power? Now, I know for some of us, religion and faith communities have torn us apart so much that it feels like it's time to walk away. And that may very well be the case if the term religion and if a community cannot be sort of redeemed for you and you need some space from that for your own safety, for your own healing, for your own rebinding, then by all means, take it. But I think oftentimes we run away from religion and from practices and symbols and stories that can be really powerful. We don't actually need to. Because those stories, what makes them powerful is the fact that they can flex and bend and change in ways that connect us and rebind us to the world and to God. And so we don't have to abandon them. We need to rediscover them, reorient ourselves to them. What makes a symbol or a story in religion truly powerful is that it can bend and it can flex and it can grow and meet us where we're at. So if religion has left a bad taste in your mind, if possible, I'd suggest trying to repurpose the symbols and the stories to let them breathe and grow and stretch in ways that do begin to rebind us to those around us into the world. Let me give you an example of this. So the first church that I ever taught in on a regular basis, at the end of every service, we would do communion, the sort of like Christian practice of taking bread and uh, wine or grape juice and entering into the symbolism of them. Now, when I first started teaching, I thought, this is the symbol we're going to close with every single time. Like, surely it's going to get old and people are just going to think about it in these very narrow terms of like the sacrifice of Jesus. And I had begun sort of unpacking that metaphor and moving past it. But what I found surprised me every single time, no matter what I was talking about or teaching on or unpacking, this metaphor of bread and juice, of brokenness, of sacrifice, would always flex and grow and fit. So if I was talking about community and the connections we have to one another, then there was something amazing about coming together around this tangible, tiny meal that could bind us together. If I was talking about pain and hurt that we've experienced, and there was something about reflecting on the brokenness of this figure of Jesus that was powerful. If I was talking about hope and the need for resurrection, then there was this idea that on the other end of this brokenness that we were touching and feeling and experiencing, resurrection was possible. If I was talking about the connection that we have to the earth and the care for creation that we should be engaged in, then actually touching and eating and dipping these things that came from the ground was powerful. If I was talking about selfless love, about this idea that we find ourselves in our true humanity through love and sacrifice for others, then 
the symbol could flex and fit that. If I was talking about how violence and the use of violence ultimately leads us to destruction and how we need to be breaking the cycle of violence, then reflecting on the sacrifice and the cross through this metaphor could do that. And that's what is powerful about religion. It's a set of metaphors and stories and practices and communities that connect us deeper to the sacred. And that connection allows us to begin to rebind and to heal the world around us. And so if you think to yourself, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, then I would ask you, what is it in the world and in your life that leads you to this rebinding and this reconnection? Because that is religion. That is what religion was meant to be. Connecting what has been torn apart. Mending the tears and the harm and the hurt that is around us. And connecting us deeper to the presence of God in our world. So I hope that you can practice that sort of religion in your life and in your communities. Till next time.